0: So I have a son, most of you know that, some of you have seen him around, he's a little kid that looks like the reincarnation of Ralphie from Christmas Story, you seen that kid? Yep, that's him. (laughs) I love my son, I think he is smart, I think he's funny, he's clearly very cute, and he is also the answer to some of my deepest prayers. When Michael and I began the journey to start our family, or to expand our family beyond just the two of us, we experienced several years of sorrow. We lost three babies in three years, and we were facing the harsh reality that we may not be having children the way that we always thought we would. But, after several doctors, and a lot of tests, and a few adjustments, and loads of prayer, we found out that we were pregnant again. And then we made it long enough to find out we were having a girl. And then we made it to May 24th, 2010. And we held our daughter, Claire, in our arms. And we were overjoyed. I don't actually know if there are words this side of heaven to describe exactly how we felt. Just suffice it to say, we were at peace for the first time in a long time. And we were deeply grateful. But I'll be honest with you. It didn't take very long before we started hoping and praying for just one more. I mean, we knew that we could be perfectly content with Claire as our only child. She was and she is an incredible gift. But we also knew that we could just as fully love another one. And we figured, you know, Claire's world would probably be better if she had to share it with somebody. So when we found out we were pregnant again, we rejoiced. And I promise you, if we would have had another whole and healthy baby girl, I would have been overjoyed. But when we went for that ultrasound and they told us we were having a boy, I thought my heart was going to explode. After so much darkness, after so much weeping, our gracious God was turning our night into day. And where we had once felt this deep hole, we were starting to feel complete. And so we just wept. All three of us, we just cried. I mean, Michael and I, we cried tears of joy, and Claire cried because she really wanted a sister. (laughs) But we cried. And then those tears turned to smiles, and then laughter, and then singing. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but I am telling you, I just couldn't stop singing. I sang songs that I knew. I sang songs that I was making up as I went. I just sang all kinds of songs. I sang so much during my pregnancy with Carson that I decided to go full-on cheesy, and I turned his baby scrapbook album into a songbook. I just went and found songs that had lyrics in them that described how I felt at all these different stages. So, uh, there's things in there like... Um, Oh, gosh, let's see. Allison Krause's Baby of Mine, and uh, Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine, and there's there's Lean On Me, and Stand By Me, and We Are Family, all the classics. And, of course, I had to go with The Lion Sleeps Tonight because, you know, his infant photos. And uh, then uh, (laughs) I even found a song, wait for it, (laughs) to describe exactly how I was feeling the night before he was born. Do I have any Queen fans in the house? Okay, I know. It's not We Will Rock You, although now I can see how that would have been clever. No, this, I actually went with something more authentic and raw. Fat-bottomed girls. I mean, people, when you can no longer fit behind the wheel of your car, you just have to face facts, okay? But the point of this is, (laughs) is that my heart was full My heart was so full, I couldn't stop singing. It was full of gratitude and joy, it was full of fear and trembling, it was full of excitement and anticipation, and I just sang all the feels, you know? And most of the time, my songs would revolve around my hopes and my dreams for my son. Who will he be? What will he do? How is he going to make his mark? On the world. And as crazy as my little song habit may seem, I'm encouraged to know that I am not the first mother who did this. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to the Gospel of Luke. In the first chapter of Luke, we see one of the biblical accounts of Jesus' birth. And in this particular story, Gabriel has appeared to Mary and he's pretty much laid out for her God's plan for her life. And we immediately see Mary experiencing some of these same emotions. I mean, she's in shock. There's fear, awe, wonder. And eventually, you know, she embraces humility and obedience. But in order to process this major life change, Mary decides to go on a journey. And she goes to visit her much older but also pregnant cousin, Elizabeth. And I just imagine as Mary is on this trip to the home of Zacharias, she's probably asking herself a few questions. What are my parents going to say? What is Joseph going to do who in the world is going to believe my story but then she gets to her destination and she is welcomed by her cousin and this is the greeting that Elizabeth gives her why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her And after this greeting from Elizabeth, I kind of think that Mary only ponders one question after that. What is the significance of this child's birth? And with all of that emotion welling up inside of her, what does Mary do? She sings. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but He's sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, when I was about 25-ish years old, I was working in a school office, and I was helping to uh, go through admissions papers for new students. And one day, this lady comes in, and she's looking a little panicked. And so I ask her, you know, can I help you with something? And she says, yes, I need to speak with you about a child. I'm thinking, okay, cool, that's my job. So I grab enrollment papers, head over toward her, and when I get there, she grabbed my arms, pulled me across the counter, closed her eyes, and just started babbling. I have no idea if she was speaking in tongues. I don't know, I was a little caught off guard. But then she opened her eyes, and she started prophesying. I quickly realized the child she wanted to speak with me about was mine. And here's what she said. You will have a son, and he will follow in his father's footsteps. He will preach the gospel, and you will be very proud. But your son will be persecuted because of his faith, and your heart will be broken. And then she dropped my arms, and we just stood there staring awkwardly at each other for a minute. And then she left, and I never saw that woman again. That is a true story. And I recognize that that lady might be crazier than a loon. But I have to wonder, what if she's not? What if what she said was true? What if that prophecy is the significance of my child's birth? Now, I want to be clear about something here. Okay, let me just say this. I have no delusions of grandeur here. I am not comparing my son to Mary's, okay? Mary's son went around blessing the lives of men. My son asks every man who walks into the room, can I punch you in the chest? So I am... (laughs) very aware of my son's humanness. Okay. Nor am I comparing myself to Mary. When I was a young teenager, I could not be trusted to carry the garbage out on time. I would never have been asked to carry the son of God. But in this moment, as I read through her song, I do resonate with Mary on one thing. She trusts her Lord. She believes his words are true. And when I look through this song, I think about the fact that I I had eight years to think about that prophecy about my son. Eight years from the time I met that woman to the time that Carson was born. And that's a long time. But Mary, Elizabeth, the nation of Israel, they have been resonating on the words of God. They have been resonating on the words of their prophets for generations. And it is clear here. Mary knows the significance of her child's birth. Jesus became the son of man in order to fulfill the promises of God. And when you look at her song, it is full of biblical references, stories that she would have been told from from her childhood. And I love how she weaves together her own story with that of the nation of Israel. Look at some of these lyrics. She talks about her lowly position, her poverty, the fact that she's a captive under an oppressive nation. That's the entire story of God all throughout history. But then she said, he's done great things for me. He has performed mighty deeds with his right arm. That's a direct allusion to God saving his people out of Egypt. That's the Exodus right there. In fact, in Deuteronomy 10, Moses even says what mighty deeds God has done on behalf of his children. And Mary just continues everything that she talks about here. It's like she's saying what God has done to protect his people and provide for his people throughout history. He is doing even now. His love continues throughout generations. He is faithful from age to age. What is she expecting from her son? He came to free the captives. Well, that's Isaiah 61. He came to restore Israel, Psalm 53. He came to bless the poor, Deuteronomy 15. He came to humble the proud, Isaiah 2. He came to bestow mercy, Psalm 4. Everything that was promised in the stars of Abraham is now being realized in Jesus. Jesus became the Son of Man in order to fulfill the promises of God. Mary certainly has something to be proud of here. This is significant. And she absolutely has reason to sing. But I wonder, have you heard that Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Yeah, it bugs me too. But I do wonder. She seems to know a lot about her son. She seems to understand that he is going to bring high the humble and take low the proud. But does she know how that's going to happen? She seems to know that her son is going to reign. But does she know the crown that he'll wear? So there's another piece of poetry in scripture. Some scholars say that it is a song of sorts. And this particular song, it talks about the significance of this child's birth. And it gives us just a little bit more insight. And this song is found in the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 5. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Paul emphasizes here the fact that Jesus was in equal standing with the Father God. Equal. This means he could have called some shots. He could have pushed back a little. At the very least, he could have retained some of the privileges that came with his rights and his position. But he didn't do that. He did not see his position as something to be used to his own advantage. But everything that he had, he used for the benefit of others. He used for the benefit of us. Paul says that he made himself nothing. This literally means Jesus poured himself out. He gave everything he had and he held nothing back to the point that he became like a servant, like a slave. And we know about slavery. We understand they were stripped of their position, sure. But this goes beyond that. Slaves, servants in the Greco-Roman world, they were stripped of their identity. They had no money. They had no possessions. They were taken from their families. Most weren't allowed to practice their religion. Some of them were given new names. Nothing. Now, Jesus maintained his divinity, but he released so many of the privileges and the rights that came with that. He removed himself from the most exalted position, and he placed himself... At the lowest position known in heaven, he was made in human likeness. Now some scholars have looked at this and they've said, you know what, I think I think Paul's actually making a contrast statement here rather than a comparison. Like if Jesus had to be made in human likeness, what Paul's saying here is that we're nothing like him. We couldn't be any different. But I think it's missing the point. Yeah, sure, there is a clear divide between us and God. There is a barrier. There is a boundary. But the fact that Jesus released his position, he gave up some of his rights, he put flesh on, that to me doesn't say that he's trying to point out the divide exists. That to me says he's working to overcome it. Over Christmas break, Michael and I knew we were going to binge watch something on Netflix, right? (laughs) That's what you do. And so we were down to either Stranger Things or The Crown, both came highly recommended.